So I'm very pleased to be talking to Johnny Garrett, who is the author behind a new book that's come out from Camera, the campaign for Real Ale. And it's an interesting book. It's called A Year in Beer. So what's the format of the book? Talk, talk to us a bit about that. So, yeah, A Year in Beer is is trying to explain the seasonality that's inherent in, in brewing and indeed in drinking. So I think, you know, chefs have done a wonderful job of promoting the idea of seasonality in, in what we eat, saying, you know, these are the vegetables, the fruits that will taste best at this time of year or, or, or indeed the meats and um, getting people to, to think about it that way. And in beer, we've never really attempted to do that. We've never sort of sat down and talked about beer as an agricultural product with a, you know, a malt harvest, a hop harvest, the fact that yeasts prefer to ferment at different temperatures and all these things can impact on flavor. So the idea of, of, of the book was to try and connect people back to that production process and then give everybody the context to drink the absolute best thing at the best time of year, whether that's matching you know, the situation, the temperature, the people you're with, the food that you're eating or have just eaten, um, or, or indeed just, you know, the, the, the beer that best suits, um, the occasion that you're having, whether it's IPA day, which is celebrated around the world or whether it's Christmas and Christmas ale. Mm, Cause I think people will be familiar with, you know, perhaps stout at Christmas or something like that, but, um, you know, then they might be less, is there beers we should be drinking in like the autumn? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, autumn's a great example because autumn is is obviously roughly when harvest is, and that's when we'll start to, uh, well, start to we'll, we'll finish harvesting all the malts, or all the barley and the wheat. Um, that will just be coming to a close as autumn hits, and the hops will just have started being harvested just as autumn hits towards you know uh, beginning and end of September. So actually, in autumn we have this wonderful sort of three or four week window where we're brewing green hop beers, which is brewed. Um, most most beers that are brewed in the world are made with dried hops, but there's this little window where we can use them fresh off the vine, like fresh flowers, and toss them into the beer and get entirely different flavors from these beautiful flowers. Um, so in autumn, you know, it's a wonderful time to to drink these beers, and they're made by you know traditional and very modern brewers all over the country, and that can only happen for a couple of weeks of the year. And then obviously we have Oktoberfest, which we sort of struggle to embrace in the UK. It's just a bit too kitsch and we can't quite get our heads around it. Um, but there are some wonderful events around the UK. Um, and in the book, we talk about how spring is a wonderful time for foraging. There's lots of forest and wild ales, but also it's when the American hops come over, these beautiful, big, bold, citrusy hops that we can use in IPAs and double IPAs. And those beers will taste best in um, in spring. And then in winter, um, we, we have the, the spontaneous brewing season. So where we don't pitch our yeast, we use wild yeasts that are out there and enjoying the, the colder weather and we're not getting the bacterias that can come in summer. So you can brew some really unusual, completely wild fermented beers in winter. So it, there's definitely beers that are produced at certain times of year and there's definitely beers that are best drunk at certain times of year. Mm, and of course, I suppose that then gives you an endless variety of different flavours, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, the, the whole sort of genesis of this book was me kind of getting into a rut and drinking the same things time and time again, drinking, you know, beautiful sort of German and, and Czech inspired Pilsners and then lots of IPAs, which is sort of the flagship style of, of the craft beer movement. Um, and I got stuck in a rut and I wanted to drink some more unusual stuff, some more traditional British styles. And I saw this as a way to encourage myself and indeed encourage other people to get out of that. That, that rut that I think craft beer and indeed cast beer drinkers who are probably more addicted to 
well, sorry, not addicted, more, more favor, more sort of bitters, uh, porters, those kind of styles to drink um, something slightly outside of their comfort zone and, and tie it more into the seasons or the, the context where they're drinking. Because this is quite a career for you, haven't you? You've got a YouTube channel and things where, where you do all sorts of interesting videos. Yeah, it's it's uh, something I constantly have to justify to my parents who don't quite understand it. But yeah, my main main source of income is is as a YouTuber, um, which I never thought would happen. Um, I have a background. I was a journalist, a food writer. Uh, I worked for Jamie Oliver and was deputy editor of his website. Um, and this kind of snowballed as a result of making some films and, and Jamie promoting it on his YouTube channel. So now, yeah, I, I used to travel the world before COVID and hopefully we'll start to again soon making documentaries about beer and, and um, learning all the stuff that I then put into my books. I think people will be quite interested to hear that. So your, your main income is as a YouTuber. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, we, we put a video live every week on the Craft Beer channel, 4 p.m. on a Wednesday. We put mini documentaries, uh, homebrew videos. We do lots of homebrew now, which sort of came out of out of lockdown last year. We got obsessed with homebrewing. Um, and then what we call sofa sessions, where we'll, we'll sit down on a sofa like you probably do at home with a friend if you want to crack something special and, and talk about the style or the beer. Um, and yeah, we, we have uh, monthly nearly 200,000 viewers. Um, we have uh, most of our income actually comes from uh, Patreon, which is a website where fans of, of what you do can just put in a bit of money every month and get perks in return. So we now have this amazing forum of people that, that pay a little bit of money in to support what we do. And in return, they have this forum. There's about 350 beer geeks and we all um, talk on this online forum every week. Um, and yeah, you know, it, it's tough to know how long it can last. We're probably in the golden years of, of beautiful, innocent beer forums and, and youtube but it's i mean i'm incredibly privileged to to do what i do yeah absolutely and you mentioned craft beer then so so can you give us a bit of an idea about we hear this term banded about a lot now don't we everything's craft beer and that's sort of, how how is that different from you know just beer I mean, it's not really. That's the simple answer. Um, it's sort of been co-opted by some of the really big guys to the point where the idea of craft has kind of lost its meaning. Um, it's much easier to define, define, say, car scale, which is a different method of serve. Uh, there's no extra CO2 added in and the beer is usually extremely fresh. It's sort of only just finished conditioning when you serve it. Craft beer is a bit more nebulous. And the first thing I'd say is that cask is absolutely craft. Um, the craft it's easier to define what isn't craft than what is um so it's talking about you know being flavor forward you're not dulling down the flavors making the processes cheaper finding shortcuts you know these lagers that are made by these very big breweries lagering it comes from the german to store which is lagen it means you have to cold store it for significant time to get the flavors that you need but these big breweries have found ways of doing it in three or four days. So it's entirely sort of tearing apart that tradition, that process, and indeed those flavors that you get from that. So it's all about reversing the way that sort of big economics took beer, which was to make it quicker, cheaper, and, and um, I would say blander, um, and reversing that to say, no, we'll take our time, we'll do it right, we'll use the best ingredients, and we'll follow the traditions that have served as well for millennia. Um, and that's sort of the philosophy of craft. But as any philosopher will tell you, uh, defining exactly what you believe is incredibly difficult. <laughs> and I think in the book, A Year in Beer, you've got uh, an actual beer 
from Essex in there. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's not really a part of the UK that doesn't have a wonderful uh, traditional and indeed sort of modern craft beer movement, and Essex is no different. Um, we One of my favourite chapters in the book is in is the chapter about cheese and beer matching, which I've put in October, but really it's a year-round pursuit, if I'm honest. Um, and I've picked some of the, the best artisan cheeses, so all British, beautiful British small-batch cheeses, uh, and matched them with beautiful beers. And, and one of those was the Leon C., uh, they have a, a gorgeous strong stout, um, which is absolutely fantastic with with any kind of blue cheese. So uh, Stilton, like Colston Bassett or a Stickleton, um, which is sort of an unpasteurized cow's milk version of, of, of Stilton. Or then, you know, like a Roquefort or, or something French as well. It can be really beautiful. You get that salinity of the cheese and the funkiness and then the sweetness um, and the dark roastiness almost acts like a kind of chutney with those really salty cheeses. Um, and yeah, Leon C makes some fantastic, fantastic beer. Wow, people are just licking their lips now, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so is cheese a good accompaniment to beer? Absolutely. I mean, cheese and beer have a lot in common. They were originally sort of farmhouse pursuits. So they were made on farms as a way to use the produce that was made on those farms as sort of a, a side hustle for the farmers. Um, it was typically done by women to start. Beer was always brewed by women until men found out they could make money from it. And then they sort of wrestled it away from them and turned it into a commercial pursuit. And the same happened with cheese. Um, and then it also went through in the 60s, 70s and 80s, a kind of commercial commercialization where we got suddenly got macro beer and we got macro cheese where cheddar just suddenly became everywhere it was dulled down it wasn't as exciting as flavorful and it became sort of a cheap commodity and it's coming back out of that british cheese we've got six or seven hundred different cheeses made in the uk now we've got two thousand just over british breweries making i mean god knows how many beers at this point it's so hard to keep track but they've had a similar similar journey um, and actually a lot of the microbes involved even some of the ingredients involved are very similar so it's it's natural that they go together much better than say wine and and cheese would um, and another reason is the variation you get in both of those products you could have a really salty funky blue or a really lemony um, creamy um, sort of soft cheese and the same you could have a really lemony slightly acidic sour beer uh, like a Berliner Weiss or you could have um, like a big roasty stout or a very hoppy IPA and they can all play with each other and the joy is in the experimentation of, of trying them all out and it's something I spend many many an autumn or winter evening doing. Do you think beer is becoming a lot more like you know wines people talk often about different grapes and different flavors and different types of wine to go with different food and things you know perhaps yeah. we're just sort of getting our head around that and now beer's gone like that. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's one of the big barriers to people getting into beer is, is starting to understand the processes and the ingredients, because unlike wine, where you have grapes and you might have a yeast um, in beer, you've got four different ingredients uh, to get your head around or increasingly with with sort of modern experimentations, we're, we're adding fruits, we're adding herbs, we're adding lactose, which is sort of milk sugars to increase the sweetness and all kinds of things. So it's there's so much you can pick up on and discuss in beer. And, and actually the challenge is, you know, keeping it down to its most basic constituent parts and explaining what each can add and the variation that you can get. You know, malt can give you everything from, um, you know, Jacob's Cracker kind of flavours right up to heavily roasted coffee and dark chocolate. Hops can give you everything from, you know, hedgerow blackberries to mangoes. Um, 
and yeast, I mean, yeast can give you absolutely anything. Yeast is, you know, this miracle microbe that is involved in so many processes in this world. And in beer, it could add anything. It could add banana, apple, bubble gum, strawberry bubble gum flavors. It can add um, sort of funky cider notes. It can add all kinds of things. And increasingly people are starting to understand that and start to discuss it and start to pick it apart. But it's such a big journey. And I think a lot of what I do as a beer writer and a filmmaker is try to... Um, break down those those things into stories that people can understand um and you know wine's been brilliant at doing that and beer 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 makers and, and people who talk about beer are just learning to do it your your book kind of features so many different sort of uh beers and takes us on quite a journey and things i mean this is actually a great book for helping you explore different beers isn't it Exactly. Yeah, I mean that was that was the 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 main aim of it was to take people who had a passing interest in beer, who maybe, you know, they enjoy a, a really lovely bitter. They're not just sort of drinking the the inevitable lagers, or they love good lager, or they've just discovered this wonderful thing called IPA and want to know more about it. And it's going to say, right, you love this, then at this time of year, there's something else you're going to love even more because of the context, because of the weather or the food or the people that you're with or the situation. There's a whole chapter about drinking by the fireside because actually, if you sit by the fire, the beer is going to get warm quite quickly. You might need a different style that's going to be good warm. So it's just sort of, you know, everybody has an entry into beer. Everybody has a way that they discover it. So I'm trying to give a million other kind of entry points to go and this might convert you to this style or this beer. Because I think a lot of the time when people say, I don't like beer, it's not because they don't like the flavours in it, it's because they haven't had the right beer at the right time and gone, ah, I understand why that level of acidity or that level of hoppiness or those flavours of digestive biscuit really work. Mm. It's fascinating to listen to you talk, Johnny. Just tell us a bit about where people can get hold of the book. Yeah, so the book's available from the Camera web shop. So Camera have a bookstore online. Um, it's also in, in lots of good bookshops like Waterstones. Um, and it's uh, available from beermerchants.com, which is a great bottle shop where you can also buy four beers that I brewed uh, to celebrate the launch of the beer. And I brewed a beer with, with four amazing breweries, that uh, each one inspired by the seasons. So you can sort of taste along with the seasons as you read through the book. Um, and lots of independent bottle shops, craft beer bottle shops are also selling the book as well. So just head to your local independent bottle shop.